0: may even be the first episode of Breaking Bad, a body gets dissolved in a bathtub because they pour a bunch of acid on it. Jenny, what part of the coaching industry would you like
1: to dissolve in a bathtub? (laughs) Okay, that is a fantastic question that I have never been asked before, (laughs) I will admit. (laughs)
0: Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the powerhouse known as Coach Jenny. Coach Jenny is the sought-after coach and speaker to turn to when you can't seem to get out of your own way. She specializes in helping impatiently ambitious people figure out how to stop squandering their potential so they can get on with the business of changing the world. In other words, she's the coach to call when you're ready to make it happen. Her work has been the catalyst for her clients to launch new businesses, publish first books, negotiate career lead- Adventure the world and more. When not coaching, speaking, or teaching in her signature no nonsense style, Coach Jenny can often be found on cruise ships or at Disneyland or on other adventures with her wife and CEO, Meredith. They very, very recently moved into their 112 square foot Airstream trailer and are now running their empire from the road. Coach Jenny, one of my dearest friends and family members in the whole world, plus my very own coach, not to set the bar really high right at the beginning, but what do small business owners need to focus on this
1: week? Oh, uh, they need to start. They need to cross a freaking starting line. And if they already have, they need to cross some finish lines. So let me talk about starting lines and finish lines right off the bat because... I yeah way too much time is spent trying to figure out the middle. Oh. We spend all of our time trying to figure out the strategy and all the things that we're going to do instead of getting over the starting line and actually saying, okay, this is really happening. Mm. And you know, I've coached you on this before. We've talked at length about crossing over that Rubicon, crossing that starting line, and having that what I call the shit just got real moment. Yes, Where suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And that's where we start holding ourselves back. That's where Hilda comes in and starts making sure that we research and and study a little more and maybe suck on a little more info crack and do a little (laughs) more um, (laughs) understanding of things that we could be doing instead of actually choosing and just crossing that starting line.
0: One of my very favorite things uh, about being in your world coach Jenny is that you have your own lexicon there is a language that (laughs) follows you everywhere and we've already heard some of these and so I want to take a moment because I think they're all really important terms to define a couple of the landmines that you just dropped one of them and I (laughs) want to talk about this in detail is the shit just got real moment uh Mm -hmm. the shit just got real moment is one of the most important things I ever learned from you it's also one of the things that I get asked about the most by my clients, because the second you get close to that starting line, that's when it's like, all alarm fire. Ah, this is really happening, right? So how do you define the shit just got real moment?
1: It's when suddenly you've taken enough steps or you've moved enough forward that it's no longer this possibility of something that could be someday. But it's actually starting to become incredibly real. Like it's starting to show signs that this is going to freaking happen. Yes. And what's funny about the this shit just got real moment is it's not like every project or new business, new idea has one of those. Right. It often has several of those. Yeah. And like you said, when you're approaching the starting line and you make the commitment it feels really good. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to create a YouTube channel. (laughs) All of those things are really, really fun. But after you've shot your first podcast or shot your first YouTube video and you're doing the research and you're about to click upload, right? And you're seeing it go up there and you're watching the little upload thing and encoding, whatever the hell encoding is happening. And you say, oh my (laughs) gosh, this is really about to go into the world. Yes. You get that swell of butterflies in your stomach. Yes. That's the, this shit just got real moment. That's when you know there's no turning back. Yeah. I mean, the way that I think about it
0: in, in my life and the way that I've described it to others is, uh, I always think roller coasters are an okay idea for me while I'm in the two hour line. <laughs> and then when I sit down, but then there's always at the beginning of a roller coaster most nine out of 10 except for the ones that like shoot you out like a bullet there's this long creep to the first top and it's like yep. so slow and so rickety and it makes the most terrifying noises and you shake like crazy and everyone around you gets excited and I get terrified and decide that it's really important for me to get off this roller coaster immediately so I'm like frantically checking the lap bar to make sure I won't die I'm normally looking at whoever I'm sitting with being like "Is my Like that's the shit just got real moment of like, okay well, I can't get off of this boat now. And in practical application, the little like itty bitty shit just got real moment that I think about all the time, even though I'm not using their platform anymore, is the MailChimp monkey little fist going down on the button (laughs) when you send an email to your list. We've been doing this. You and I have both been doing this for a gajillion years. Every single time I send an email to my list, I still have that like, oh, I think I'm going to get seasick feeling. And I'm like, why am I seasick in my office sending an email that I wrote? But it happens. It's because you're taking that forward motion. So that's the shit just got real moment.
1: What unholy bitch is Hilda? Hilda is the name that I give to the inner critic, the inner saboteur, the voice in your head who tells you you suck, you're lizard brain, your gremlin, all those cute things. I call her Hilda. Apologies to anybody named Hilda listening. Um, (laughs) I call her Hilda because it was a ridiculous name in my mind that just blurted out once and it just stuck. And Hilda is um, who I attribute all of that negative naysaying that gets you stuck and makes you feel awful and bullies you and uh, tries to fill your head with self doubt and perfectionism and procrastination and keep you second guessing. That voice that is in your head, by attributing it to some broad name Hilda, who allegedly looks <laughs> like the chick I hated in high school, really <laughs> helps, really helps me to separate all of that happy nonsense, all of that noise, all of those stories from what's actually true for me. So that is who Hilda is.
0: And you wrote a book called Hilda. Which is my number one favorite anti-self-sabotage mindset for entrepreneurs book of all time. And it's not just for entrepreneurs. It's for everybody's. But I recommend it to my clients all the time because of what we're talking about today, about starting lines and finish lines and what keeps them from crossing both or either, right? Because you're totally right. We focus all the time on that dang middle chunk and i you know this as my own coach and also as one of my dearest friends and family members i could live in that middle forever forever yeah. i could overthink that middle forever and one of the main ways i could do that to define that third term you dropped in there jenny what's infocrack
1: infocrack infocrack is a term i picked this up from my friend karen graves we i love, love it you so karen much infocrack is all of those information products those youtube videos those um wikipedia pages all of the different webinars and uh mini workshops and basically anything there's a google there's a facebook ad to that is mm-hmm. going to take up 90 minutes of your time yep. so infocrack i'm not saying those things are bad I, you and I have both created some of those things. Those information products are really powerful, but you know, it's info crack because it's addictive to stay in learning mode. So many of my clients feel like they are doing something. They're actually accomplishing something because they're learning how to become say entrepreneurs, right? I am learning how to market my Instagram. I'm never doing Instagram, but I'm learning how I'm learning how to build this beautiful funnel I mean, how many pieces of InfoCrack do we have on building the perfect funnel? And <laughs> usually the way the InfoCrack system works when Hilda's playing with you is you say, okay, I am looking at a piece of InfoCrack. I loved module one. So great. You're absolutely right. It's all about mindset, by the way. Module one, always mindset. Just skip Module one module is two. always about mindset. Yep. Thank you. Exactly. Just it, it's re- And it's always like get your mindset right and think like me. And then you too will be just like me. It's not useful. Then you move on to module two and you're like, oh crap, this shit's getting real. I think I need to go shop for some more info crack. And so then you go and you find something else. You spend another few days deciding whether or not to click the buy button and on and on you go. And so, so many entrepreneurs that we know could have PhDs, maybe three or four PhDs. Oh yeah, In the amount of time they have studied All of the possibilities of what they could do with their business without actually implementing. So when I'm poking fun at InfoCrack, that's what I'm talking about. It's information overload without actually implementing.
0: Oh, I absolutely have a doctorate in InfoCrack. Like I have entire hard drives of InfoCrack. Most of which I haven't even fully consumed because just the very act of buying or signing up or registering, giving my email for said InfoCrack feels productive when the grand irony of that is it's not at all. It's keeping me away from that starting line. And so one of the Hildas, there are four, um, but one of the Hildas that plagues me the most is the one that I most clearly attribute to InfoCrack, which is I don't know Hilda. And I don't know, Hilda, convinces you what we were just talking about. You simply don't have enough information or expertise to go forward. And one of the things that I have really been working on with you in my work and in my mindset in the past year, especially, um, but that you explain better than anyone else, is this idea of experimentation, and the mm-hmm. fact that as long as we're experimenting, that is really progress. And experimenting is not, let me pull up these five info cracks and read a chunk of them at a time. Experimenting is doing the damn thing. Could you tell me and the listeners more about this concept of experimentation? How it became important to you or why you chose to focus on it and, and how it plays out in day-to-day solopreneurship and small business.
1: So I don't know Hilda, her whole thing is trying, as you said, Annie, to convince you that you don't know enough. Mm-hmm. And so the reason for that is we're supposed to find this perfect strategy. And by definition, a strategy has a guaranteed outcome. If I follow all of these seven, 12, 50, seven point steps, then I too will have that guaranteed outcome. So I just need to find the perfect strategy and know it inside and out. Once I know it inside and out and I can do all of those things, then I am guaranteed the results. Well, the problem with that is it keeps, I don't know, Hilda winning. It keeps yeah. us on this side of the starting line, thinking about, deciding, researching, or if you're Southern fixin' to, do something about this. By experimenting, I take all of those excuses away. So we're talking like fourth grade science experiment here. And by fourth grade science experiment, the first thing you do is come up with a hypothesis. Here's what I think might happen. Then you design the experiment and say, okay, how am I going to test that? Am I going to test that theory of what might happen? And then you do something that Yoda has told us we're not supposed to do. We try. We yeah. try different things. We throw things on the wall and see what sticks, see what works. We decide, do I like that? Is it working? Not so much? Okay, what am I going to try differently? Oh, I like that. It is working. How do I double down on that? By approaching everything as an experiment, instead of waiting until you have the perfect strategy figured out, or you bought the perfect strategy from some infocrackpreneur, then you are able to actually cross that starting line now. And all excuses are gone. Well, what if it fails? We'll find out, won't we? What if I don't know everything? You'll have to learn along the way. But by experimenting, you start building the plane while you're flying it instead of waiting until you have the perfect charter plane.
0: That sounds scary,
1: but actually proves Mm -hmm. pretty liberating, doesn't it? It is scary because, like I said, it takes away all the excuses of why you're not doing it yet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it does
0: because you actually have to acknowledge the fact that you're moving forward. Uh, You run a really great workshop uh, called Stop Strategizing. And as a strategist, when I first saw that, it broke my heart in two million pieces. Uh, But then I realized, no, no. What you're saying is stop overstructuring, stop overestimating, because the word that you used before was this guaranteed outcome. Ain't none of this guaranteed. Like absolutely not. So if we're waiting for the fail-proof plan,
1: we will fail by default, right? And we can spend so much time before the starting line, before the finish line, rethinking and overthinking every single move instead of putting ourselves out there. I know for you, Andy, so many of your clients are afraid to ask for sales, are afraid to get visible. And Mm -hmm. they're waiting until I don't know exactly what, but some kind of perfect step-by-step strategy is going to make that easy for them. But the truth is that never works. The example I like to give is ice skating. Imagine if you would, that you've decided you've never ever ice skated in your life and you want to become a great figure skater. So if you're doing it the entrepreneurial way, off to YouTube, we go. So, you watch the YouTube videos of all of the ice skaters in the world. Then, you buy maybe a couple pieces of info crap. Maybe Scott, uh, Scott Hamilton has put together, isn't that his name? He's put together yeah. some wonderful How I Skated Through the 80s thing. And so, you're watching that, you're doing all of these things. Now, you're learning all the things that you could possibly do to make sure that you become a great ice skater without the Tanya Harding consequences, right? But you're not actually able to learn your way. Into becoming a great ice skater until you have the guts to strap on some skates, find a way to stand up and balance yourself on half an inch of metal, and waddle yourself out onto the ice, fall down, eat some ice, and get up again and again and again. I think the reason that Hilda is so great at keeping us overthinking things, especially I don't know Hilda, is she thinks we can think ourselves out of this. We can gain all the confidence we need. Before we do a thing. And that's where trying to find the perfect strategy before you do a thing, that's where that goes wrong. By experimenting, you're saying, I'm not confident yet. How could you be? You can't be a confident ice skater until you've fallen down, eaten some ice a couple dozen times, Mm -hmm. then figured out how to keep yourself up without falling down. So you get a little competent. And then eventually, you get competent enough that you feel like, hey, I've got some confidence because confidence isn't something you get ahead of time. It's not something you can learn. It's not something you can buy. It's something you have to earn and you earn it by doing, by trying. Oh,
0: here's another Jennyism that I just love that I think is so perfect for this moment. <laughs> Jenny, what are charming years and how do you know
1: if you're in them and how the hell do you get out of them? Ooh, good question. So the Charming Years is a tongue-in-cheek way of poking fun at your early years. I always like to pick on Oprah. So Oprah in the Charming Years. Think of Oprah circa 1980-something. And she has already had quite the career in journalism, but now she's decided she's gonna be the next Phil Donahue. And she's literally (laughs) filling Phil Donahue's shoes and his time slot. Yeah. But at the beginning, if you watch those early episodes. She's trying to be Phil Donahue. She's staying in the audience, standing around, but she doesn't know what to do with her arms. So she's like crossing (laughs) her arms and the microphone's sticking out of her left boob. And it's really awkward. And (laughs) she doesn't quite have the same swagger that he does because she was trying to do it the way that that mold worked. Yeah. But eventually, after she experimented with a few things, she experimented with talking about herself. I don't remember Phil Donahue ever talking about himself. She Mm -hmm. experimented with talking about herself, being really raw and vulnerable about her weight loss efforts, bringing in people that inspire her, sitting down on the couch with them. Mm -hmm. And she stopped disappearing as the interviewer and started becoming the Oprah that we came to know. I like to think that Oprah circa now looks back on her Phil Donahue mimicking days yes. and thinks, oh my gosh, <laughs> those are the charming years. How charming, right? Like yeah. it's, it's kind of embarrassing, but you had to go through it. That's how she learned how to ice skate, right? Like she had yes. to go through that in order to become the Oprah that she's become. Our charming years are always yesterday. Let's be real. Oh, like every, God. I look back at even just a couple of years ago and I'm like, What was I thinking in my charming years? I'm coming up on 15 years in business. I look at those first few years and I would just basically build anything that somebody said, you know what would be cool? That's all they had to say. You know what would be cool for you to do coach Jenny (laughs) off to the back cave? I go for six months and build this thing because one person thought it would be cool. And maybe the whole world will want it before actually asking a couple basic questions. One do I want to do this? too? does this matter to me? No, I would. I would just run to the back cave because somebody suggested it. Those were part of my charming years, and honestly, I'm sure I'll look back at this and say, "Oh my gosh, what was I thinking?" These are my charming years in year 15. But we're always growing. We're always figuring it out, and by knowing that we all have to go through the charming years, we can laugh at ourselves and have a little levity. A little levity,
0: and also just look back and be like, "Oh, those were adorable."
1: Yeah, and there's there's like a gratitude to it. Yes, it just there's a gratitude to it. Like think about a high school senior who's like, oh my gosh, remember me freshman year? Uh, it's that, right. right? It's that same exact feeling where you're kind of laughing at it and you're kind of embarrassed, but it's kind of charming and sweet, and it's part of your journey. It's part of what yes. got you here. The problem is that today, when you become an entrepreneur, you are trying to do it right and perfect right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. And so we're afraid to have charming years. We feel like we're not allowed to have charming years. And I think the people who become the most successful are the ones who aren't afraid to kind of eat some ice and have those charming years. Absolutely. A hundred percent.
0: A zillion percent. And Jenny has uh, the, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, Honor, pleasure. Extremely important (laughs) title of being like the historian slash curator of my charming years. So uh, Jenny's got stories that I will not tell on this podcast, but you can reach on out if you want to. Also, shout out to Tanya Harding. We love you, Tanya Harding, or at least I do. And if anybody out there listening wants to do an episode about I, Tanya, and, and vindicate Tanya Harding, please email the show. I would really love that. But today we are not talking about Tanya Harding in full, or I Tanya, or Margot Robbie, or any of that. Not even Nancy Kerrigan, Jenny, Coach Jenny, mm-hmm. Jenny Mustafa, Julock, All the names. What does any of this have to do with Walter White and Breaking Bad?
1: I get a lot of my coaching material from Breaking Bad, which, if you have seen the show, is really frightening to hear. Um, and I recognize how frightening that is, but let me explain. I am obsessed with Breaking Bad. It's really sick. You can't see me, but I'm literally drinking out of a Los Pollos Hermanos cup right now. Yep. If yep. you've seen Breaking Bad, you know what that is. If you haven't, why haven't you seen Breaking Bad? That's all I'm going to say. Um, I love that show. I think it's obviously the most well acted thing ever. It's brilliant. There's so many pieces of it that I absolutely love. But truly, there are some phrases, some storylines, some some pieces of it that have inspired pieces of my coaching business, which sounds nuts when you think about the fact <laughs> it is that Walter White is, if you don't know, a high school chemistry teacher who gets cancer and needs to make some money and decides to break bad and does so by you know making crystal meth. It's, yep. it, it's, it's, it's a positive feel good movie for or television show for everybody. Designer um, crystal
0: meth too. Like designer, top right. Blue line, crystal, blue crystal yes. as only a chemistry teacher could make.
1: Oh my gosh. So great. And yeah, I, I, I became quickly obsessed with it. There's a couple of things. I'll share this one. It has a start, a middle and a finish. One of the things that drives me crazy about television right now is that once a great television show starts, they milk it until they can't make money out of it anymore. And eventually, we all know how there's so many finales that suck and last seasons that suck. I mean, I think Dexter's trying to come out with a new season to replace the last season so you pretend you didn't see it. Yep, That didn't happen with Breaking Bad. The people knew they had genius in a bottle. It's five seasons. It's perfect. They knew when to end it. So as a person, as a coach, who's all about crossing starting lines and crossing finish lines, I really appreciate the fact that they were crystal clear (laughs) about (laughs) where the finish line was going to be. So that's, that's one note. Um, another thing is there's this wonderful dark, twisted, (laughs) horrible speech that uh, Mike Ehrmantraut gives about half measures. The episode is called Half Mm -hmm. Measures. And um, I'm not going to be able to do the actual story justice. You'll just have to do a little Google. There's some great YouTube footage of it. But he talks about how he chose a half measure when he should have gone all the way. And that he'll never make that mistake again. Yes, he's talking about killing somebody. But, you know, in my context, thinking about how often we choose half measures, we go halfway, we half-ass things instead of whole-assing things, because we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid to really put our full heart into it. That speech, I've watched it a good job times. One, it's just brilliant storytelling delivered by an amazing actor. So highly recommend. But this idea of half measures really stuck with me. And then of course, my favorite moment in watching Breaking Bad was when I actually have language in my business that I use all the time up front. I talk about the fact that I help I help people stop squandering their potential. My yeah. head exploded when Walter White said, you're squandering your potential to Jesse Pinkman. That made my heart sing. You're like, oh um, my God, so, they know that I'm watching and using this for coaching. They know. They know, they know, even though I watched the show well after it was done airing. I love the fact that there is so much precision. There's no wasted time in the show. Yes. They are really thoughtful about every single character. Every character is wild and wacky and crazy. And there is no good character or bad character. There's no real protagonist or antagonist. At any given time, every single person is both trying to do the best that they know how and screwing up royally. What I love about that is It gives us permission to do the same without, you know, killing people and cooking crystal meth. I want to be clear, but we (laughs) also get to be, um, our honest selves and recognize that we have flaws and recognize that we have challenges, recognize that Hilda is a big presence in our life and that she's in our head, giving us grief. But in the, in the show and in my work, we both talk about how important it is to not ignore that. Yeah. The reason that I'm so passionate about Hilda and you and I talked about this back when I was writing the book, I didn't want to write the book about Hilda because so many, so many people had already written about the inner critic, right. but what most people are saying about the inner critic is to just ignore her, right? To spend all this time and energy, just ignoring and pretending that part of you isn't a thing. Yeah. You care too much about what people think. Just stop caring what people think. OG, oh, yeah. thank you. I found that switch. It's right here on my hip, right? Like what the (laughs) hell? Have you been able to do that? No. (laughs) What? Right. It's not a thing. So my work is about, I don't want you to ignore her. I feel like that's a gaslighting thing to say to somebody. Yes. I want you to tune into her and separate what's true and what's Hilda. And I feel like In so many ways, in so many episodes, Breaking Bad does the same exact thing of really looking at the two sides of you, looking at the Walter White versus the Heisenberg sides of you. And um, I find it really inspiring in a really weird, twisted way, as well as I love me a good anti-hero thing. You know, I mentioned Dexter earlier, Sopranos, anytime that the main character is not somebody you're supposed to root for, I'm in. Yeah, I have a harder time with that, but they get me. (laughs) They get me eventually,
0: like eventually I get there. But for the most part, I'm like, would it kill you to be nice? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it would. When you're on that level of the drug
1: trade, yes, being nice would kill you. I understand that now. I did not at the time. Well, that's one of the fascinating things about the show is the creator, Vince Gilligan, has talked at length about, and this is how nerdy I am about the stuff that I know this, he's talked at length about the fact that he was shocked that by the end of season four and into season five, there were still fans rooting for Walt. Yeah, When they had gone out of his way to say, he is no longer a good guy, why are we still rooting for him? Just like Tony Soprano. People were still rooting for him all the way through because it was seen through their perspective. And we are trained to see the world through the perspective of the protagonist. Again, I know this might be a stretch, but I think Hilda... Because she's in our head, filling our heads with all this noise, why would our brains lie to us? We are trained to believe that crap. Right. And so I love the fact that it's disruptive that way. Ugh, we're going to have to that do made another sense, episode right? about the sprenos. Of- yes, that totally made sense.
0: It totally, <laughs> totally did. But, you know, it's like because we, we want people to be redeemed or we want them to win or we don't want to watch them lose or whatever it may be. Right. But like I did that with Game of Thrones with Peter Baelish. And I was like, Peter Baelish is Mm -hmm. never going to become a good guy. It is Mm -hmm. not going to happen. I need to stop waiting for it to happen. And it literally
1: never does. (laughs) So I was like, I mean, how many people are still upset about Khaleesi? Mostly all the women who named their daughters Khaleesi. Okay. Before the last season of the show. Right. Because everybody was just you do. You just expect these stories to go a particular way. And, um, it doesn't work that way. Poor Khaleesi children. Although I don't think anybody's
0: naming their kid, Jesse Pinkman. I don't think anybody named their kid
1: Walter White. I don't think so. I don't think it had the same level because Khaleesi is such an interesting word. Walter is not exactly the sexiest (laughs) name in the world. Again, apologies to Walters out there. I've already offended all the Walters and Hilda's listening. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, I tot I I totally hear you on that. Yeah, I think we're we're pretty safe. One of the things that I love most about being
0: in your world, and one of the things you've really emboldened me to do, and and also the people that we tend to hang out with, is we are not shy about talking about how the coaching industry kind of sucks, mm-hmm. and how. Bad coaches are tarnishing the reputation of good coaches. A lot of it is about money now or bombast or guru life or fakeness or whatever it may be. Um, In one of the first episodes, it may even be the first episode of Breaking Bad, a body gets dissolved in a bathtub because they pour a bunch of acid on it. Jenny! part of the coaching industry would you like to dissolve in a bathtub?
1: <laughs> okay, that is a fantastic question that I have never been <laughs> asked before, I will admit. Um, what part would I like to dissolve? Um, well, first, you're absolutely right. I hate that as somebody who has dedicated my professional life to coaching, that coach has become a four-letter word.
0: And it's literally your name. Mm-hmm. Your name is Coach Jenny.
1: My name is Coach Shetty. I embrace it wholeheartedly. I I think I would dissolve a few things. One, the purist idea of what a coach is. And by purist, I mean purist according to the coaching school you went to, which is I mean it's kind of like being a purist of a particular religion. They don't all agree. So it can't all be the purest, perfect thing. Um, It's very similar where, you know, there's a lot of coaching schools that say it is not coaching. If you have an opinion, (laughs) it is not coaching. If you have advice, Um, then I am not the coach for you. Uh, The other thing is this idea that coaching has to be. Deep and serious and emotional. Look, I make people cry all the time, but I make them cry through laughter, right? Um, And I make people cry because they're facing things about themselves and it's it's a cathartic cry. Yes, But I find what's so fascinating is that coaching has become this... I don't even want to say therapeutic because it's not the right word because that's a different thing and a really important modality. But it's become this... Very serious, soul searching, soul crushing thing mm-hmm. instead of what it was meant to be, in my opinion, which is a way to develop personally, professionally, right? Like to as a place to say, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I want. What am I going to do about it? And of course, therapy is asking, you know, why is that? What are the patterns and, and digs deep. But We're really about what are we going to do about it? So why does coaching have to be this very serious thing instead of being (laughs) fun? One of the things that um, uh, just amazing compliment I received this year um, from Jay Manning, one of my members in Make It Happen. She said to me, I'm joining Make It Happen because after watching you, I realized, wow, I forgot coaching can be fun. I forgot coaching can be fun. I would like to dissolve the oh-so-serious, like, this is, we're going to dig up what's wrong with you and move you a couple of inches, instead of saying, what's right with you? What's going Uh, great with you? What makes you awesome? And how can we tap into that? That is just
0: brain-blowingly fabulous. Exactly what I would expect from you, Coach Jenny, my goodness. (laughs) So for people who are not lucky enough to be me and have constant access to you, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> You're all jealous, um, what
1: is the best way for listeners to come into your world? Yeah, the best way to get started is to come and take my quiz. I have this fun five question quiz. It's actually more questions than that, but it depends on, you it's going kind to of choose your own adventure. You'll answer five questions that give you a sense of, do you have what it takes? And what I mean by that isn't, do you have what it takes to work with me? Because I'm not that coach. It's more, do you have what it takes to actually commit to and follow through and make happen your dreams? The things that you have been wanting and talking about or thinking about, or again, fixing to, I am in Texas right now. Maybe you've been mm-hmm. fixing to do this for a very long time. Do you have what it takes to actually make it happen? Um, Spoiler alert, you do, but you have to believe that. And if you do believe that, and if you can see that, I can help you tap into that and take it to the next level. So the other thing is when you take that quiz, you'll get a sense of, oh, can I put up with this fraud? (laughs) Can I put up with this coach? Do I like her? Do I like her style? And it gives you a, a chance to kick the tires of me. And then I'll be able to introduce myself and we'll take it from there.
0: And the book also is Hilda. Available everywhere. Go get it. It's amazing. Yes, I am the Annie mentioned in the book Hair Toss.
1: Ah. She totally is. And and also, spoiler, not a spoiler, but um piece of trivia for you. Um, if you look at the Hildas, they are posed in certain ways. So the four different hildas, I can't, I shouldn't, I don't know, I don't wanna. And Annie was the model for figuring out the poses and facial mm-hmm. expressions of that Hilda that we sent over to the illustrator. So forever. Yes. I will remember that. And I know how mad you are at me that I didn't tell you you hadn't brushed your hair that day, but you looked yeah. fabulous.
0: It's fine. I didn't know that we were going to use the pictures forever as like part of our personal lore, but I'm glad we did. <laughs> and also, I we so just appreciate that. We just telescoped my mannerisms and facial expressions onto the girl that you disliked in high school. So, you know, it's not like... Allegedly.
1: Allegedly, Annie. This is public. People may Allegedly. Hear. Yes. And by the way, her know. name was not Hilda. Nobody I went to high school with was named Hilda. Thank goodness. I'd be in That trouble. would be
0: hilarious. I think we should make Hilda's last name Heisenberg. <laughs> Hilda Heisenberg. I like it. Hilda Heisenberg here. Anyway. Everybody, I cannot recommend working with Jenny any more highly than I think I already have. But if you need a coach, if you need a push, check her out. Coach Jenny, live from Texas, in your Airstream. Thank you so much for being here today. It has just been such a joy to finally get to share you with my audience. Thank you, Annie. Everybody else, I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for this week. Well, hey there, listeners. If you want to be an ice skater, you need to get out there and eat some ice. We learn by doing, not by overanalyzing, procrastinating, delaying, or getting our doctorate in crack products. This episode is so much about starting lines, finish lines, and the gumption to cross either. But there is another lesson tucked in here, something that I learned from Coach Jenny that has totally changed my life. If you fall on the ice, it's not really a failure. It's data for an ongoing experiment. So often when I stumble in business or life, I rush to label the experience as a lost cause, a waste of time, or an embarrassing setback. And I dwell on that. And when I do that, I discount the fact that I achieved the hardest part, which is getting off my ass and trying in the first place. I dared, and therefore, I did. One of my dearest hopes for this podcast is that it will normalize the truth that entrepreneurship is frickin' hard. It can be downright brutal and might take years for us to find our mastery. But there is power in every forward motion we take, in every piece of content we create, whether or not it gets loads of likes, in every decision we make, knowing we may choose differently tomorrow. Your homework this week is purely mental, and it's to forgive yourself and practice radical self-kindness. We are the visionaries of our brands in public, but in private, many of us still carry the scars of every minor mistake we made in our charming years. This weighs us down. It robs us of confidence and clouds our judgment. Instead, this week, I want you to reframe these setbacks as experimental data and you as the chief scientist so that you can return to your work with vigor, with passion, and with the drive to figure it all out day after day after day after day after glorious day until it finally clicks. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the non sleazy Sales Academy. And me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who helped make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypeable Impact. My composer, Riley Horbastio and my show artist, Francois vigno They're all fabulous, and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best, and remember, you're too legitimate to quit.